So it wasn't for a test. I think it wasn't for like a belt or anything like that. It was just sparring. It was just sparring in Taekwondo and I got paired up with a woman and she just happened to be pregnant. And in, I think in Taekwondo. Mm-hmm, yeah. And I think most people would think, oh, you, did you go easy on her? And absolutely not. No, <laughs> absolutely not. Why not? I absolutely destroyed her in the sparring thing. <laughs> now we're not allowed to do contact in that anyway. So like we had like padding on, there's like light contact, yeah. but, but no, I, I kicked her straight in the head and what? stuff. <laughs> But what about her Some baby? people would argue that it was like I was defeating two opponents. So I would say that <laughs> it was it was a tougher thing to do. And if anything, it should have counted as a belt rank. You can get one and a half at max. I mean, two opponents, that's a big deal. I mean, yeah. I was only like a blue belt at the time. You think the you think the the fetus inside of her really gave her I a lot of I think it gives strength. her power, yeah. I, look at what changes in pregnancy. They get stronger and bigger. They're eating more. They're bulking. <laughs> I mean, they weigh in way heavier, you know? That's true, yeah. You, you can go from a featherweight to heavyweight just from the pregnancy alone. That's so a good point, yeah. A lot of arguments for why, if you're ever sparring with a pregnant woman, don't feel bad to kick the crap out of her. <laughs> Jeez. Well, on that note, welcome to the Back to Basics podcast. Uh, today we are talking about medical legal issues, which actually maybe we should <laughs> give, go back to that in terms of fighting pregnant people. But um, medical legal, so. That's a really boring intro. I'm sorry. A couple things. Listen to this episode on Guardian CME, www.guardiancme.com. You can get a free CME for it. Uh, it'll be half hour credit for free. Mm-hmm. Sign up for an account. They're great. Uh, another announcement, because you're just missing all the announcements. I We're going to be at EMS World 2022 next week. So this should come out either the week of or the week before. Hey, so I think come I have see the, us. Do we have a booth number? Uh, we do. We I have gonna, finally have a booth number. We do have finally have a so booth So Chris is going to look that up, but I will tell you, if you can't find our booth, we bought a projection light thing that's like the bat signal that's yes. going to shoot the guardian head up on the ceiling. We now, do that. the over under on whether or not they're going to allow us to keep this projecting onto the ceiling because I'm pretty sure you have to pay for advertising space up there mm-hmm. is probably like 20 to 30 minutes. But if you come in the first 20 to 30 minutes, look at the sky, you'll be able to find us. But what it's if we just sweet. like flash it periodically and then hide it before someone comes around and tell that. us? If it's they'll it's, know honestly, it's, it's the coolest thing we've ever, it's the coolest piece of swag we've ever gotten. Yeah, it is very cool. It's a giant bat signal. Okay, here it is. Our booth head. number, 1,721. Ooh. 1721. Head on down to the slums of the U.S. <laughs> 1,721. Yep, 17, number 1721. But no, I will be there. Chris will be there. Uh, Jamie, the behind the cameraman, will be there. Come and say hi. We would love to meet you and talk to you and maybe give you a couple uh, free days off the uh, test prep program. Yeah, absolutely. Which brings us to our next announcement. Obviously, Back to Basics is sponsored by Guardian Test Prep. If you need to take the NREMT or you're studying for your exam or you're in class for EMT or paramedic, check out guardiantestprep.com. We specialize in helping people pass the test. So 94% pass rate if you go through our entire program. You got dozens and dozens, thousands really of questions. Uh, mm-hmm. You got videos of Chris and I lecturing and uh, a workbook to go through. So lots of fun there. All right. So anyway, wrapping back into what we're doing today, we are going to be talking about medical legal. Not the most exciting topic, but we're going to make something it that's important. Yes. And By testing out <laughs> each law and seeing how far we can take it. <laughs> we're going to bend the rules yep. and therefore teach them to you. Exactly. Um, no, I think that this is kind of important, though. Like, I, I do see this bump up on the test a lot. Like, you'll you'll get a couple medical legal questions. Um, it's kind of boring, like, vocabulary, understanding terminology stuff, but it is pretty essential to understanding, like, what your job is. And I do think that there's a lot of 
discrepancy with like well, there's what a lot people of st- really understand about it when they're out there now. There's like, a lot of stigma around the legal stuff and like, what am I liable for? What am I not? A lot of things that you think that you are liable for, you're not. You're protected by certain laws and a lot of things that you maybe don't think that you're liable for, like you are. And you just need to take in consideration. So it is worth knowing the ins and outs of it. It's not yeah. that complicated. No, it's, it's really not too bad. And that's what I think is going to be clear at the end of this lecture. And we're going to make it fun and exciting for you. So um, we're titling this, You Can't Handle the Truth. Medical Legal Review. I love it. Which is a quote from the movie with Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson. What's that movie called? That movie is called Encanto. <laughs> a few, Jamie is telling me, A Few Good Men. Yeah. Which I would bet 94% of our listeners haven't seen, but can't quote. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> because yeah. I'm one of them. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, so first thing, what we want to do is just talk about like, what is the, what is the purpose of the legal system? What does the legal system do? What does the legal system do? Yeah. What does it do? The legal system. Summarize. Summarize. That's such a, such a broad question. I know. In EMS? No. In, in medicine? General. What in, is general, in general. What does the legal system do? Yeah, and then do? we're going to relate that to EMS. Okay. Um, it protects the people of our country. Yes. Good. It protects you. It's <laughs> yep. there to protect you, right? It's there to punish criminals <laughs> and protect innocents, right? And that is why it's there. In medicine, too. And we need to probably make take a little bit more of a positive look about the legal system and realize that, like, medical law is doing far more on your at your day-to-day job protecting you than it is, like, getting you in trouble. And I think that's, that's a view all the time. So you see how I was tying these I got, points? I got, you got it. I yep. got it. It's like I have a captive audience <laughs> and I can, I can see the true reaction. No, what the purpose of this system is is to protect you and make sure that you can safely provide good care like it is on your side but i think what happens is in our day-to-day life we're always like you got to do this or you'll get in trouble or like it's not this thing that's constantly trying to sniff out and get you in trouble for doing your job or put limitations on your job it is there to protect you and make sure that you can and is there to protect your patients yes obviously and i think sometimes we worry that the system's not working for both of those at the same time. And it very much is. I think sometimes we think like, oh, the legal system is there to protect our patients like from us, well, that's which a, is that's not a, true. The other thing I was going to bring up is like, there's this idea, like if, if in our mindset, we're setting ourselves up to be like against the patient in this situation, it's like me versus the patient. I got to make sure that I dot my I's and cross my T's or this patient's going to get me. Like you are on your patient's side. Like your, your purpose is to be there for the patient. Like, Generally speaking, you can probably summarize all of medical legal review up as if you're a decent person and you have your patient's best interests at heart, you're going to be just fine. Just do your best. Yeah, that's it. We can close. (laughs) No, but seriously, like, yeah, 99.9% of the time, like, even if you make a mistake, if you're in a court of law and like you're on the hot seat, if your thoughts and intentions and actions were for what you believed was the benefit of the patient, you're going to be just fine. And some of it, people are going to argue and be like, well, no, what about this case? Yes. The cases you hear about, though, are the ones where, like, maybe that didn't turn out well. And that's why you're hearing about them. Right. You're not hearing about, like, the millions upon millions of cases that never became cases because these laws are in place. Yeah. And the millions of times that the legal system did exactly what it was supposed to do, which was protect the paramedic or EMT or provider and also protect the patient. And what we do hear about though, is the cases where like, and I'm thinking recently there was a case of a nurse who had a bad outcome and was put on trial for it. And like, and like, and like that obviously takes national news, but it's because it's out of the norm. 
You know what I mean? So well, I think that. So this is funny because it's just reminding me of my recent couple of nursing shifts here. So yeah. if I can go on a little bit of a tangent, but like, especially in the nursing field, like I feel like there's this fear of like, having any type of responsibility for things that's not tied to somebody else's like potential punishment. Like, so recently I was filling out a report. Um, uh, one of my patients had taken a fall, uh, on the floor. So I was like filling out the report for it and I had to basically, they, they did a bunch of, they did x-rays, they did a CT scan, they did all this stuff. And, uh, I was like filling it out and I was typing in, to the doctor, a note to the doctor. And I was just like, Hey, like the, the results are back. Like, I don't see any issues, but if you could please review this. And my charge nurse was like, Oh, don't, don't put that. Don't put that. You don't see any issues. Cause that's, that's going to like tie it to you sort of thing. And I just like, it's I my patient. Like so like, and it's also like, it's like a fear to practice medicine. Like I'm not giving, I'm not saying he's 100% good. I'm saying based on my nursing judgment and assessment, like and could I, that be, I read this paperwork and I interpreted it this way. If the doctor decides to take that as, you know, the holy word of God and there's mistakes or whatever, he's going to get in trouble for that. Anyway, that's not going to be well, on me, but everyone don't be afraid is. to do your job. The thing like, is that if there's a bad outcome that everyone caring for the patient is going to be somewhat liable. Like it's your patient. Right. So if you're not willing to take liability and responsibility, for your patient, then don't work in the medical field. Yeah, I mean, like, like yeah. that's like part of the, it's like the whole with great power comes great responsibility, right? Like we like, and these laws are there to protect us and do that. Another thing I'll throw in there is I think sometimes we, we, like we think about like malpractice insurance, right? Like everyone, even if you're an EMT, you have malpractice insurance through your employer, that sort of mm-hmm. thing. I think people look at that as a bad thing too. Like I had one, I had a clinic that, uh, one of our sister companies, Guardian Medical Direction, we were providing oversight for the clinic and, and the owner said, well, I was told not to get malpractice insurance for my clinic because that way there's nothing for them to go after. And it's like the purpose of malpractice insurance is to protect you and the patient. If there is a poor outcome, money can't really fix that, but it can go to help like deal with the ramp. Like, well, I, w- I want that for my, pa- I want to mm-hmm. carry malpractice insurance so that if my patients do need to access that, right, they can through get a lawsuit, yeah. they can get it without me having, like, I feel like sometimes we'll, like, you read the newspaper too and you're like, oh, so-and-so was sued and, you know, they had to pay out millions of malpractice. It's like, yeah, that that's not a bad thing. That's exactly what it's there for. What didn't happen is that they didn't have to pay millions of dollars out of their own pocket or two, that the patient never had access to ongoing medical services that they needed because they couldn't afford it. I mean, like that, that's, a, that's right. not a bad thing to have happened. Right. And I just, but I just feel like that's all the stories. We always get like the malpractice and like when mistakes are made and it's everybody's fault and whose fault is it? And like in this case, this particular case, like I was like as a nurse assessing the patient with nursing knowledge and then presenting that knowledge, like yeah. that knowledge, maybe that doctor has different knowledge or he interprets that in a different way. Like you're not in trouble for just doing your job and interpreting that the way you right. want. Like you're not never like signing this seal saying like anything that happens to the patient, I am now taking responsibility for forever. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's well, just not, it's not that deep. Like you, yeah. you do the best you can with what you know and you present that information honestly. And I would hope that the nurse as a physician, I would hope that the nurse caring for my patients when I'm not there would take the responsibility of like, I'm looking at this as well, as opposed to just like, I'll just transfer this to the doctor. Like I can yeah. get anybody to do that. Right. I, I'll just get, I'll just get Joe Schmo off the street to come and babysit and send me the reports. If, if that's all I need. And right. that's, that's not the point, right? I mean, like you have a level of training that like, well, I'm you, supposed to be a stopgap for you to yeah. help you catch something that you might miss or something like that. So if I just 
what's the point of me if right. I'm just passing stuff, right? Exactly. So exactly. anyway, it just kind of made me think of that. But don't be so don't be so scared. Stop being scaredy cats out there. Cut that's, it out. That's the message. Hey, knock it cut off. Cut it out. <laughs> knock it off. <laughs> so that would be a good like. We'll cut that now as a TikTok, and we'll like make it a whole like political thing or something. All right, political. Um, Why are we gonna make it political? Because everything goes political now. Um, okay, you're so really cool. political on TikTok. That's gonna be our new social media strategy moving yeah, forward. I like great. it. Perfect. Um, so let's overview some terminology. All right, mm -hmm. this part's gonna be a little weird because we're gonna go over like some general terms, but we're gonna try to go through them quick. All right. Law. So first of all, yes, law. I don't. I don't know if I can define <laughs> what a law is. Please don't no. do that to me. Um, scope of practice. So your scope of practice is the. Uh, like jurisdiction you have to work within, right? So if you're a paramedic, you have a paramedic scope of practice. It means that you can't go and perform heart surgery. It means that you can do what you are trained to do and what you are certified slash licensed to do and also allowed to do by your jurisdiction, like your, your, your overseeing body, right? And this is where things get funky because uh, a medic in Canada or a medic in Michigan or a medic in Ohio might all have slightly different scopes of practice. They might have equal training and the same licensure and certification, but because of the area that they're operating in, their scope of practice is different. And this is interesting too, because scope of practice is not always well-defined. And we see, and this is where you will see the medical legal stuff start to weigh in is that like, there are certain things that certain certain areas are, feel are within the scope of practice of a paramedic or a nurse or a physician. And then there are other areas where they are not. And, and sometimes it is very gray. And then when if there is a bad outcome, the question becomes the big question that will always start is, was this within their scope of practice? Yeah, were they allowed to do this legally? And this is something that I would encourage everyone listening, like, take the time to do the research for you, like, you know, your, 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 your area, your region, whatever, your, your hospital, whatever it is, figure out how they are defining your scope of practice, because it will give you, con that is always going to be the first question. If there, if there ever is like a medical legal case, mm -hmm. it always starts with was what that provider do, what, what they were doing, was it within their scope of practice? And that has to be, and sometimes it's very clear yes or no. If it's no, then like, that's a, <laughs> a problem. Um, but if it's not clearly defined, getting clarification from, your overseen body mm -hmm. or your, you know, that type of thing is not a bad idea. So. And I think the easiest way to do this is just consult your protocols. Like that's what protocols are there to define your scope of practice. Mm -hmm. So pro local protocols will be based off of state protocols, their interpretation and specifics that they want to take from that. So consult your local protocols, know those well, follow those protocols. That's why it's always so important to fall back on protocol because it's making sure that you're staying within your scope. Of practice. I had a guy tell me once that in Oklahoma, as long as you know how to do an IV, anyone can do an IV. <laughs> <laughs> that's true that's a true story that was he and he was looking to get a medical director and i was like you should look somewhere else <laughs> should, yeah, yeah not with us please. i was like well you mean like as a nurse or as a paramedic he's like no as long anyone. as you're comfortable as long as you can do it yeah as long as you can do it i feel it. that way about a lot of things in medicine just you know i feel like i could i yeah. could crack his chest yeah, exactly <laughs> you know? right right yeah yeah your constant confidence level has to be about a six yeah exactly <laughs> so, exactly so um cool so that's what scope of practice is now medical direction is the next thing that I wanted to define. So medical direction is um, basically like, we, and we did a whole episode on, well, we did an episode on DNRs, which we, heavily no, we talked did an about. Did we do on medical, medical direction? direction as well. Yeah, we yeah. did a medical direction episode. So check that one out. I don't know what episode number it is. It was like, check it out. Three or four is it early It was one. early on, I think. Um, but anyway, medical direction is essentially like the person who's like ultimately responsible for who's like licensure or. So let's put it this way. No, no paramedic or EMT 
can work without some type of oversight. So we're considered dependent providers is what that means. Yeah, so so they have to have some type of physician oversight. In the hospital healthcare system, that falls under the medical director or medical direction, which is the essentially like which physician or physicians are ultimately responsible for writing those protocols, for setting the, you know, standing orders and defining the scope of practice for that region, that area. Right. And so what's funny is that there needs to be laws in place that even allows someone like you to do that for someone like me, right? So you have what's called the Medical Practice Act that gives authorization to physicians to delegate tasks. So there has to be a law in place that says like, hey, Chris as a doc can tell Jason as a medic within his scope of practice to do this thing for him. And only in certain circumstances. So like there are a lot, every state is very different too. So like there may be a limit to how many people I can delegate authority to. There may be a limit of what types of things I can delegate versus what I cannot. There are like in some states, like I can delegate, you know, Botox injections to a nurse who's trained. And there are some states where I cannot delegate that. That's not allowed. So it's very defined by that. Right. And that's where this is, we get an interesting take here because our sister company, Guardian Medical Direction, Chris sits as the head medical director for that chief medical director. What is the official medical officer, chief medical officer Mm -hmm. of the, did you just make that up, though? Yeah. <laughs> no, I, that's really <laughs> no, what it is. Kidding. So he's like the medical director overall, the medical directors. So he has a lot of liability there, but he is very familiar with. But I love the liability because the legal system is awesome. <laughs> yes. yes, there you go. Yep. No, but he's very familiar with, like you were saying, Those everything nuances. bumps into that scope of practice. So like, hey, I can delegate this, but I can't do that across the board. It all depends on that person, that specific individual, where they're at and in their individual scope of practice. Well, so And, and, the, and the reason wrong. where it's coming up right now for me on that side of things with paramedics is can paramedics do IV hydration? Can they start IV hydration clinics? Mm -hmm. And it starts with, well, is that within their scope of practice? Can I delegate as a physician that authority in the state type of thing? You know, so that's where I'm seeing it on the paramedic side. And like IVs are very much in your scope of practice as a paramedic, pretty much anywhere, but in the context of providing emergent care. So then you're looking at the laws and you're saying, well, this is in the context of an emergent care what if it's not emergent care, right? Like if I, you know, I'm going to hook my somebody up to an IV because mm-hmm. they, then all of a sudden you're defining emergent. So it, it can get kind of, you, you well, just yeah, have to and like, paramedics, I mean, paramedics EMTs were initially designed obviously as mer- emergency medical providers, but that is changing and shifting a little bit, especially paramedicine. With, with, with nursing shortages and stuff like that. Yeah. You're starting to see community paramedicine. You're starting to see paramedics work on floors now as like semi like nurse assistants, but like with a little bit more authority. Like they, so there's a lot of, it all depends on that local area. So it, it can really shift and change, which is interesting. So we're seeing that practice grow quite a bit. And I think exciting. I, I think because sometimes people will hear that and be like, oh man, this is super complicated. That means I'm going to get sued. It's like, no, it just means you need to really talk about it and like define it well with a lot, like talk to the medical board, talk to the nursing board. You know what I mean? Like these different right. groups, they're there to help as well. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. again, like just making sure you're having conversation. And this is why we want to talk about it today is that like not knowing is more dangerous. Mm-hmm. If you know, then you can, you know, f- and I'm going to say this in a bad way, but like find a workaround or find the way to do it compliantly or legally or, you know, or decide, ah, you know what, that's just something I cannot do. And then, you know, so now, you know, now, you know, the more, you know, and knowing is half the battle. Exactly. G.I. Joe. Yep. Perfect. That trademark G.I. Joe. <laughs> yeah. For medical legal purposes, <laughs> for legal purposes, I need to say copyright G.I. Joe. I don't own that. We don't phrase. own copyright laws too. We don't own any copyright to G.I. Joe. Okay. 
Awesome. If they um, would like to be a sponsor on the podcast, though, <laughs> please reach out to us. At <laughs> We're already having way too much fun because I have like 18 terms. We have to go okay, sorry. So, all going. right, next, vicarious liability. This is online medical direction. Vicarious means like if you're living vicariously through somebody, you are like witnessing and experiencing those things through another person, right? So if like so, my nephew goes out and has a party and I'm like, oh, I got to vicariously live through you. Tell me all about how the party went. Like, that's where you see that in a social. And me as a medical director, be like, oh, my gosh, tell me how you want to deviate from your protocol, and I'll tell you if I'm cool with it or not. Exactly. So vicarious uh, liability allows Chris to basically accept liability to tell me to breach protocol. Uh, don't say breach. Deviate from por- protocol is different than breaching. Because that's you still have to do something within your scope of practice. Like, a doctor can't get on online medical direction and be like, I'm going to walk you through cracking somebody's chest like that, that doesn't is, make any sense without, i've seen that on every show i've ever watched about I know, EMS. But you can't do that that is outside of a paramedic scope of practice I need to go make a few phone calls and i would argue <laughs> possibly sometimes in these shows out of the physician's scope Correct. of practice because chris has to stick to what he can do as an er physician he can't i can't delegate tasks that i can't do myself right. i'm like you know what we're gonna do heart surgery i don't know how to do it but i'm gonna show right. you how to do it and, delegate and a medical license doesn't give you authority to practice all medicine at all times Correct. you can't just walk into radiology and be like you know what i'm picking up a shift <laughs> like, right you have to be able to work within that scope so vicarious liability is what allows a uh physician to give online medical direction to deviate from standard protocols within the scope of practice and we've talked so, about hey, this instead of you know, giving nitro right now because of this particular state, let's withhold on nitro. He can give me online medical direction to do that um, with vicarious liability. He's accepting like liability. And that's what I was saying, like the online medical direction, like you don't have to make a phone call every time you see a patient because you have protocols and standards. Online medical direction is when you do have a question or when you do want to deviate yeah. that you put in a call. Um, then there's also something called borrowed servants liability, which is like when a paramedic is over an EMT. So I don't have a whole lot of experience with this because the county that I uh, worked the majority of my career in um, has been, well, I get it allows paramedic EMT partners, but I've always worked with another paramedic ALS partner. So, but um, if you have an EMT that you're overseeing and they're like taking lead on the call, um, there are some legal not ramifications, but there's just some legal concerns that you need to have. You like have some responsibility. You, yeah, you have responsibility for what that EMT is doing, and that is called borrowed servants liability. Right. So yeah. you're, you're overseeing that that EMT. Anytime you're treating a patient and have more training than the person you're working with, you mm-hmm. have some responsibility, we'll call it, to you know guide that. Yeah. So and one thing to just point out is that an EMT and a paramedic working together is not interdisciplinary care. It's not like you giving a report to a nurse like you don't really know what their deal is. Like you guys have separate liabilities and separate scopes like you are. They are within your scope. You need to be familiar with their scope because you have some shared liability there. That's mm-hmm. all. So uh, licensure versus certification. So we, I get this a lot, actually. Like, people are very confused about the difference between certification and licensure. Certification is basically just, like, anyone could give anyone a certification. If you are considered a certifying body or, like, a self-considered expert, like, you can just certify someone in something. So it's whether or not that certification is recognized by... Right. Which, I mean, we even see in the largest certifying bodies, like the American Red Cross versus the American Heart Association. There are hospital systems who have said, no, I don't want to recognize the certification from the American Heart Association. I want to recognize it from the Red Cross or vice versa. And then there are hospital systems being like, hey, I don't care where you got your CPR training. As long as you have a certificate, it works. <laughs> right. But like, like it's, it's again, a certificate. So that's another thing, too. Like we see with a lot of the CPR agencies that we work with, with our sister company, Guardian 19 Marketing, like I feel like. Like I'm a paramedic or I'm a nurse, 
I'm going to certify people in CPR. It's not AHA. It's not Red Cross. It's not ASHI. I'm just going to like Jason CPR. You get a Jason CPR certification. Like sure. You can do that. Like you can just like write a cert and make it up yourself. Like, hey, you're certified now. It's just whether or not people are going to recognize your certifying body yourself as being legit or not. Right. So difference between a cert and, and a license. A license is a basically it gives you occupational regulation. So it defines a scope of practice. A license. Right. What, what a license does is gives you the framework for a scope of practice. Essentially, in, in medicine. In medicine, sure. yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So a license, like if you're a licensed paramedic, it's giving you occupational regulation. There's there's occupational regulation within that. That's the difference between the license and the cert. And that's going to be on a state level and national level. There's going right. to be some recognition of the licensure. And that's what what where it gets weird is certification granted by a state that allows you to engage in trade or profession is a license. So when you say I'm a certified paramedic or I'm a certified EMT, you're also a licensed EMT or a licensed paramedic if you're practicing. Because that's coming through the state. Yes. Because it's coming through like the yep. governing body, yep. not jasoncpr.com. Gotcha. Yep. I can't certify you as a paramedic. I mean, I guess I could I could just pretend like you're you like, there's like a Jason's paramedic certification, but it would not allow you to practice right. with a license. Correct. Because it's not regulated by the state. So this is something that we do hear a lot of times too, like, especially in the CPR world, like just because you have a CPR cert doesn't mean that like you can just willy nilly go practice all the things you learned in CPR class. So we'll talk about that when we talk about Good Samaritan laws too, but we'll get into that. Well, no, I just mean that like even like in a lot of like CPR, like in a BLS course. Yeah, that's true. They learn how to use BVMs and all this different kind of stuff. Unless you have a license to use those tools and practice that way all you can do is chest compressions and mouth to mouth like you can't you know what i mean like technically like that doesn't actually give you if it's not also in a licensed scope of practice yes yeah no and i think where we run into a lot of trouble here like when i was in um emt school i was an emt i took an acls course to try to get ready for paramedic there's dozens of things in acls that an emt can't do and i would also argue there are things in ACLS that a paramedic can't do. There's lab values and things that you like. It doesn't really relate to your, yeah, to your practice. Or so like nurses who take advanced cardiac life support or pediatric advanced life support. Like they don't have now permission to intubate or push meds or do exactly. things that are not already in. That has right. been in your scope of practice. Right, right, right. So cool. Um, moving on from there, a duty to act. So what is a duty to act? Well, that, I think that just goes back to the responsibility piece. Like if you're trained to do something and you've been licensed to do something. Like you have a responsibility to use those skills for the betterment of on duty on duty. Yeah. When so you're, th- and that's the thing is there's a big difference. Like I don't have a duty to act when I'm walking down the street and I see an emergency happen. I may want to help out, but if I help out, I need to make sure I'm helping out in a capacity within my scope of practice when I'm off duty. Mm-hmm. And my scope of practice is different when I'm off duty than versus when I'm on duty, when I'm on duty and I have a duty to act, I have the tool belt. I have everything that I need. I have to act. It is it's required to act, not acting is a breach of your duty to act. Mm-hmm. So you yeah, don't like, have, you never have a duty to act off shift. Chris doesn't, when someone sell, yells on a plane, is there a doctor on board? Chris does not have a duty to act to be like, yes, I'm a doctor and like help out in any way. Mm-hmm. Doesn't have to do that. And if he decides to help out, he can't be like, I'm pushing for set. <laughs> right? Well, it's, it's, it's the physician's a bad example because I'm able to operate without any oversight. You know what I mean? So, like, technically, I can go do those things in my malpractice. Yeah, may so. may cover it depending on how my malpractice is set up. But for a paramedic, like, if you respond off d- duty 
and you intubate and push meds, you are not covered by the medical director or the medical direction right. that is set forth. And you're not allowed to practice medicine without that medical oversight. So technically you're outside of your scope of practice. And there's some, so there's some nuances here and this is why it's really important to know, like uh, 90% of America is volunteer fire departments and volunteer EMS agencies. So this is important to know too, is like there are different laws dictating like what makes you on duty versus what makes you off duty. Like, if I went and visited the guys at work right now and they told me hop on the ambulance, I need help with something. And I pushed a med depending on kind of like how those laws are written and how like your individual scope is written. So like there are volunteer, I don't want to say that like it's a black and white rule because there's volunteers out there that like, they don't necessarily have a duty to act, but if they act, they can like turn themselves on to on duty because they're volunteers. So it's like a sure. whole kind of weird thing. Sure. But do something to consider your duty to act is, but you can't be on duty. You can't be on duty and be like, um, no, yeah. I don't want to be liable for this patient. It's like too bad. You're on right. duty. What like, you can do on duty is say that is outside of my scope of practice. I'm not going to do that thing, but you can't be like, I'm not treating this patient. I'm not feeling it today. Yeah. And you can't say that about something that is in your scope of practice. Correct. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, so a couple things, once a paramedic or an EMT assumes a duty to act, they have to continue to, like carry out that duty until one of three things happen. The patient's transferred to someone of equal licensure or higher. The patient no longer needs care. And that's clear. Or the patient ends up ending the patient caregiver relationship. So they can refuse. You can drop them off at a facility or turn them over to an another provider or you healed them. So Once you choose to act, you cannot make the decision to stop acting until correct. it's an appropriate time. Otherwise you would see abandonment which will this is another thing that we have to do. It's like down here. We're at E right now. It's K, but we're just going to cover it right now. Abandonment is when you start, you have a duty to act, you initiate acting and then you leave. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, standard of care. Standard of care is kind of like a, I don't want to say it's subjective because it's not supposed to be, but the standard of care is basically like what a prudent um, person in your field would do. So if like a, if in a court of law, they can be like, hey, Jason, like I understand that you performed a tracheotomy with a straw, a sane, normal person wouldn't have done that in your position. So that is outside of the standard of care. And in that case, that would be negligent and we'll kind of define. And the reason that. we even talk about standard of care is because we cannot in protocols and standing orders cover everything in mm -hmm. medicine, right? So a lot falls under like, is this standard practice or standard of care across again, like your license, your jurisdiction, your area, that type of thing. Well, what did we say when we summed up this whole episode at the beginning? Be nice, keep your patient's best interest <laughs> at right. heart and you're going to be just fine. Like this, this is where like a lot of that falls into that, right? Yeah. So like, Hey, as long as I'm doing my best for this patient and I'm doing what a reasonable paramedic would, mm -hmm. I should be good to go. So like it might be in your scope of practice to like push epinephrine during cardiac arrest, but like pushing epinephrine when someone is like, you know, feeling a little sleepy and you haven't checked vital signs is like very much not standard of care, right? It's in your right. scope of practice, but it's not standard of care. Pushing epinephrine is in your scope of practice, but it's the standard of care isn't using it in that instance. Exactly. Right. Um, all right, so let's talk about misfeasance, malfeasance, and nonfeasance. Misfeasance is performing a legal act that is harmful or injurious. So misfeasance is doing what you just said. It's legal for me to give epinephrine, but I gave it at a time, at would be a time when it would be harmful, right? So legal act, but it ends up being harmful or injurious. I'm sorry, it is harmful or injurious. Um, malfeasance is performing a wrongful or unlawful act. This would be me like 
cracking a chest open or like doing something completely outside of Standard my care or school. Right. Practice, yeah. And then nonfeasance is not performing an act when you're required, when you're required, when you have a duty to act. Right. Mm-hmm. So when you're on duty or, or whatever. So misfeasance, malfeasance and nonfeasance. And nonfeasance would be like you should have started CPR and you didn't. Yes, exactly. Um, damn, oh, and so I'll, I'll give an example. Misfeasance. There was a case recently where someone was starting like hugely high, large bore IVs on patients just for shits and giggles. Um, we're going to have to bleep that out. Sorry for craps and giggles. Um, <laughs> and, uh, they, they got in trouble for that. That would be misfeasance. Is it legal to start a large bore, large IV? bore IV? Yes. Not in this per particular case it was harmful and can so, cause harm yeah yeah so um malfeasance performing a wrong for an unlawful act this would be like these are all also that do harm right mm-hmm. like by not acting or by doing these things that are lawful or unlawful they cause harm yeah so doing what if you did something unlawful that does not cause harm we're going to talk about negligence in the next section i love it we'll get there all right that, that covers it we're fine damages what are damages? The bad outcomes. The harm. Right. <laughs> right, right. So there's compensable damages and then there's punitive damages. So compensable damage is like um, you're compensating for the damage. So I broke your neck and it cost you everything, <laughs> Jason. It cost me well, everything. So there you go. It cost you $15,000 to get it corrected, right? Mm-hmm. I owe that in compensable like wages basically Mm -hmm. but then the court might also be like because of the emotional damages like the punitive like we're also going to tack on another 60 grand because this took them out of work or whatever right so the courts decide like what's compensable versus what's punitive but they are totally allowed to not just be like hey it's even stevens now (laughs) you're good to go right Right, like they can they can add that that punitive damage Um, a statute of limitations is the amount of time someone can file a lawsuit so after like a certain amount of time they, someone can't like call you and be like in 1985, Jason broke my wrist. I want damages now. Right. So there's usually a uh, a statute of limitations of about for some reason three years is sticking in my heads, but I think that is just the time at my department where if you get written up, that goes away. I think two years is. Pretty and I know that because I crashed an ambulance, and then the chief was like, "Remember when you crashed that ambulance?" I was like, "You're not allowed to remember that. It was over three <laughs> years ago." <laughs> so, um. But anyway, there's a statute of limitations on on laws. Uh, I'm going to throw this one in there. Double jeopardy is you can't be tried twice for the same crime. So if you break my neck and they found out that you didn't have anything to do with it and nothing happened, they I can't later with new evidence try you for the same issue. I don't know if that... I think if you have new evidence, it's maybe <laughs> yeah, you can. <laughs> I don't really know how that works. And also, I, double jeopardy might be something that's only in criminal law. I don't Could know be. for sure. Anyway, um, false imprisonment. This is imprisoning someone when you're not allowed to. <laughs> Let me tell you this real, just very clearly. You're not allowed to imprison anyone in yeah, your job. So right. don't do not that. Not in your scope of practice. Right. So, but also understand that you are imprisoning someone if you force them to go to the hospital into your ambulance with restraints and they haven't agreed to it if they are of sound mind and meet some criteria, which we'll talk about. Abandonment, we already covered. Um, assault is the intent to do harm on someone. So this is where people like mix up assault and battery all the time. You've assaulted someone if you threaten. Battery is actually doing it, right? So if you're someone who sticks to their guns, assault and battery. If you're just a wimp that's just all talk, it's assault. Assault. Um, and then we can move on to our next section. So that covers terminology. It's going to oh, be wow. a long one. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Let's talk negligence. What is negligence? I don't know. Negligence is... <laughs> 
it's, it, basically, in order for negligence to happen, we talk about gross negligence versus just standard negligence and all this stuff. What negligence is, is basically whether or not you're responsible for harm to the patient. And a few things have to exist in order for you to be negligent or responsible. To have so negligence is a legal term basically defining whether or not I can even be at fault for an outcome. Correct. Like there has to have been negligence. They have to negligence prove that the person was negligent. Yeah. A certain. Mm-hmm. Okay, go ahead. So duty to act has to exist. So if I have no duty to act because I'm off duty. And I walk right by the emergency. You cannot sue me for negligence. I didn't yeah. do anything wrong. Mm-hmm. Cool. Like the story of the Samaritan. If you cross the road and just keep crossing... No you're, duty to act there. Nobody cares. I'll argue that you're kind of a jerk, <laughs> but if a duty to act didn't exist, but you can't, you can't be negligent. All right. Uh, breach of duty. So the actions performed had to have deviated from the standard of care. So this is where you have to prove that, hey, so what's the standard? Only, so like they would normally, a normal paramedic would follow protocols and they would pro- follow it to this degree. This is what a normal, prudent, sane paramedic would do. You're fine. Yeah, if, if you did that, then you're fine. If they performed, they deviated outside of that, then we have an issue. So okay. first question, was there a duty to act? If yes, did they deviate from standard of care? If no, you're fine still. Correct. Uh, damage to the patient has to have occurred. So you can have a duty to act, act, breach that duty, but no harm, no foul, you're good to go. Cool. Legitimately. Yeah. Like that, that's the, the big difference. And that's pretty important in terms of like defending yourself. Like if you make a mistake, but it didn't cause harm to the patient... You're good to go. Um, And then lastly, the breach has to have caused the damage. So like it has to damage could have ensued. Like let's let's take the break your neck example. Right. So I have a duty to act. Uh, I act. There's a breach of duty. I do something wrong with the patient transfer. Right. You break your neck. But you can't prove that the way I transferred you is what broke your neck. I'm good to go. So the breach of duty has to have caused the, the harm. And what we call that is proximate cause. There has to be proximate cause. Um, in order and this that. becomes, this become like when, when cases are brought to governing bodies, like the, these become the questions they ask. First of all, was there a duty or not? Second of all, was this within their scope of practice? Was the standard of care or not? And that's where you'll see people start to argue. Like, I think it was, I think it was, you know, that kind of thing. Then, like I said, was, was there Was there even damage? Was there, yeah, was there any damage to the patient? And patients are going to argue like, well, there was because of this. And, and then it's going to go back and forth. And then also finally like. Is what they did. Is what I did. Yeah. Like maybe, maybe that person did have damages, but that's not because of the thing I did. Mm-hmm. Thing, so. so those four things have to be in place in order for you to be negligent. And a lot of times that breach caused the damage, that proximate cause piece is like the linchpin in a lot of defenses for you as mm-hmm. a provider so um so let's jump into other examples of ems related laws covering good samaritan laws so good samaritan laws are not for on-duty personnel good samaritan laws exist to encourage citizens to help others and i'm quoting in good faith in a manner similarly trained person would standard of care so mm-hmm. if you're off duty and you want to help someone and you're going to do within your scope of practice like you would normally there are laws that specifically protect you in that instance so that you don't just cross the road and leave the person there. Good Samaritan laws were originally designed for off-duty nurses to be able to perform CPR. And then what ended up happening was it got expanded out. And the idea behind it was for specific CPR emergencies when someone goes into cardiac arrest, whether or not you should render care. So if I start doing CPR on you and I break your ribs, that's a very, I shouldn't say common, but it can be a common uh, like side effect of doing CPR on somebody. You can't wake up and be like, I'm suing you because you broke my ribs. There's damages there, right? Mm -hmm. So if we didn't have good Samaritan laws in place, 
uh, no one would ever do CPR ever because they'd be worried about liability. Right. So it, it removes you from liability so long as you help others in good faith in a manner a similarly trained person would, which would be falling onto your CPR certification training, which is basic, basic stuff. Like even Chris said, like the BVM stuff. And when, when we start adding medical equipment that's more for advanced providers, like a basic life support class or an advanced cardiac life support, that's out of that kind of scope of practice that a good Samaritan law would cover. Um. There are exposure laws. I'm blanking on the name of this, but there's a law that basically says if uh, if I'm exposed to like your blood uh, as a paramedic, I can get you Jacob's law. I think I can I can make sure you get tested or I get tested. Like I can I can force you to be tested essentially yeah. outside of your will, um, like so that I can see if you had a yucky disease. That right. Well, and it's because testing that person's blood is not harmful to them and it could be harmful for you to not know and yeah. not get treatment that you might need. So, yeah. Like that and happened. Remember when I was in paramedic clinicals and I was working at the hospital that you were a resident at and you decided to have me assist with the central line and no. you pulled the line out and then a bunch of blood spurted out into my eyes and uh, you didn't tell me to get glasses. And then I went to the wash station and you're like, I think it's over there. And I was like, I think something needs to be done. I wasn't even supposed to be on this floor. I'm supposed to be in the ER. I don't recall that. Like, let's not worry about it. I don't recall that because that sounds like negligence to me. And (laughs) oh, look at this. I've been out of residency long enough that the statute of limitations says that you you can bring that up right now. There you go. That did happen. (laughs) No, it didn't. Um, And the patient had a bunch of like super bugs that were like, (laughs) they're like antibiotic, biotic resistant drugs or drug uh, diseases, which is kind of spooky. But then you told me everything's fine. I never saw the report based on our (laughs) previous interactions. I'm not sure. But I remember calling my clinical coordinator and being like, so good news and bad news. He's like, what's the good news? Also, the good news is I got some great experience off the floor. The bad news is I'm not allowed to be off the floor, and I definitely was. But we were covered. It was good. Um, I don't recall that. Pretty funny stuff. If you laugh at me, almost die. All right. Um, so exposure laws, like legally, if that guy refused, I could have like forced him to. I couldn't have, but like the, the hospital could have forced him to get tested so that. They could well, we did. Me. We just tested yeah. the blood because I mean, I mean, you I don't remember. Had. I don't remember the incident. <laughs> I mean, I don't remember the incident. I'm not sure you're talking about. Um, all right, jumping over to confidentiality HIPAA. Oh gosh, I'm not. I'm going to butcher HIPAA. It's the health. Something health portable ability, information, health information, portability and accountability act. Yes. Nailed it. Uh, this protects a patient's privacy. So it is within the patient's right not to advertise that they have a condition or disease uh, outside of the people that would be taking care of them. And so, you're not allowed to go tell people. Yeah. You can't go and be like, like I, in that story I just told, I couldn't be like that guy's name was Gary Johnson or right, <laughs> yeah. whatever. Right. His birthday so, was this and yes. he had, and there are actually like, we have to be careful with a lot of the stories that we share here. There are particular things that can only be like shared or talked about in an educational sense, even when you're not uh, bringing mm-hmm. a name into it. So just and you also careful. have to be careful too. Cause like sometimes the events surrounding something mm-hmm. are public knowledge enough that you could like figure out who the person was or if right. you, I mean, so you have to like be careful in how you share, just don't share patient information. Yeah, if you're like, rhymes with bouquet Jimson. <laughs> That's not going to do enough, right? right? right. Okay. Um, defamation. You're good at this. Cause what? <laughs> no, defamation is basically when you are um, making someone's reputation look bad, uh, either in writing or verbally. So if it's in writing, it's considered libel. And if it's in... Um, Speech. If it's in speech, then it's slander. So if I say something nasty about someone that is not 
definitively true. It's subjective and it's uh, like a defamation of their character. It's turning people off to them. Um, you can and this actually that. comes into play in medical records all the time. So if you are writing store, like you're writing your HPI and you're speaking ill of the person in their history, the next mm-hmm. provider who reads that, like that can be considered a slander, like or libel type of thing. Yeah. You can't be like, this guy was a jerk this and guy he's was, yeah. horrible and That's his wife why left to, him. And yeah, in your EHR and stuff like that, you need to re- report things like the patient said this. Like if you want to paint that picture in the correct way, it needs to be the patient said this, quote, go back there and die, you mother effing blah, 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 right? Like you need to write that out as opposed to being like, he was really mean or he was rude to the parent. Like you got to right. be careful with that language. Because and you have to think about it too. And I'll, I'll, I'll bring some empathy into this that like, we see people at their worst when they're in pain, when they're like, so their best foot's probably not being put forward. And we have to be careful that we don't paint a picture. Like, cause you guys have done this too, where you like read a patient's chart and you're like, Oh, this guy. And then I come in biased with my, and that's not fair. Like I wouldn't want that for me. Like, I'm sure that like, if I'm ever in a severe amount of pain or hospital, I like are scared or whatever, like I'm probably not going to be putting my best self forward. Right. I'd prefer to be able to get another chance. And I feel like that's kind of the way we have to approach that piece. So, yeah. I mean, don't, take crap like don't be treated poorly or no like harmed in, in any way or anything like that but just understand that how you package that information later um especially those are the things that a lot of times like providers want to talk about afterwards because maybe it was funny to them now looking back at it or maybe it was is interesting or it upset them or whatever we mm-hmm. just have to be careful how we package that information yeah. because really even if you're going to another member of your organization if they weren't directly involved in that patient's care you shouldn't really be talking about them at all and True. if you're talking about them with the intent to have a social conversation about the funny thing that happened or the mean thing that happened, that's not, that breaks HIPAA anyway. Yeah. It's not, it doesn't have to do with their care. Um, all right. Lastly, crime, I say lastly in this section, uh, crime scene evidence protection. So just keep in mind, like medical legal falls into crime scene stuff. So we need to make sure that we're keeping the chain of evidence going. So this takes place in like sexual assaults or any uh, like murders, uh, assault and battery, things like that. Like we need to be careful that we're not interrupting the police's process in uh, solving that crime. So there are things that you have to do. Your protocols will outline those a lot of times like with uh, well, we discussed this in our briefly in our STD episode when we talked about uh Sexual abuse, like you want to package that clothing, don't allow the patient to shower. Like there's specific things that need to happen in order to gain evidence. Um, We've had like crime scenes where it's like, it's not like you don't like pick up the knife and like put it in a brown paper bag. And like, that's not your job to handle that evidence. So just Mm -hmm. be careful and work with the police that are on scene. There have been times like I was doing CPR on a guy one time and like a gun fell out of his pocket. And I was like, you got to secure that gun for me. You know what I mean? So they like moved that. It wasn't a crime, but. So their, their job is first and foremost to keep you safe. But then outside of that, we want to make sure that we preserve that evidence so that we can have justice for the victims. Um, resuscitation. We have a whole lecture on DNRs and advanced yeah. directives. And I, I would just, recommend that you take a look at that one and get your CE for yeah, it. Let's um, not even go into that. Yeah. Durable power of attorney versus a do not resuscitate order. They're different things. Living wills and the right to die with dignity. Hmm. Those are all factors that come into that. We talk about that a lot when we uh, have our DNR episode. So yep. check that out. I believe that's like episode, I think it's like four or five to be honest with you, but it could be completely wrong. And we did it here, didn't we? So it would have been like, yeah. we did it in our new studio. So it might be a little bit later than that, but check it out. Look it up. DNR back to basics. Um, organ donation. Um, so there's, depending on your situation, like when you resuscitate someone, if they're an organ, organ donor, there might be some special protocols that you have to do. That's more in hospital than in the field. Mm 
Um, and then the last thing that we're going to talk about today is consent. So types of consent when consent is basically our favorite topic. (laughs) (laughs) Consent is whether or not someone agrees to the medical care that, uh, that you are going to provide them. So there is informed consent, which is a, um, like, Hey, I'm up with IV and you're, and you're like, all right, cool. Thanks. Yes. And, and you are of sound mind and you've been informed, you understand it and, mm-hmm. and you consent to that. There's express consent, like Chris is grasping at his throat and can't breathe. I can say that's express consent for me to do the Heimlich on him, right? Mm-hmm. Also, anyone who's unconscious or dead, you can consider to be express consent to uh, work on them, do something about it. Implied, oh, I'm sorry, that isn't express consent. That's implied consent. Yeah. Express consent is like a living will or something like that where they've expressed it in a different way. Mm-hmm. So they're not necessarily informed, but they give express consent like uh, do these things or this person uh, can act for me. Mm-hmm. So like if I go down and like if I've made Natalie my durable power of attorney, medical attorney, my wife then can like make medical medical decisions for me i've given express express consent consent that she can do that implied consent i'm sorry is the uh you're unconscious implication of consent because you're unconscious or something and what what would a prudent person want they'd want to survive so we do something about that and then there's involuntary consent and this is where it gets real like medical legal involved so involuntary consent there's like basically like three big places that you're going to see this with minors with adults without decisional capability uh, capacity and with prisoners or arrestees. So with minors, um, they cannot consent for themselves uh, in terms of medical care. So unless they're emancipated. So an emancipated minor would be someone who was able to achieve that because they're, uh, they were, they left their parents or a lot of times like females that are pregnant before 18 um, can become emancipated minors. They can make decisions for themselves and their baby. Uh, but well, what's interesting about that is a whole different topic, but technically a minor who's pregnant is able to make all decisions for her unborn child, but still cannot technically make decisions outside of that pregnancy for herself. Yes. Unless she's legally gone to become an emancipated minor. Correct. Which is very but it's hard very to easy. navigate. I think it's very easy to become an emancipated minor. If you're no, no, I'm saying it's very hard to navigate as a provider. Oh, yeah. I've had it happen where I was just like, I, I yeah. don't know how to do this. So like so. grandparents or something are like deci- trying to decide what happens with the daughter, but the daughters are trying, trying to decide what's Well, no, like the parents the are trying to decide what happens to the daughter. Well, well I'm I mean, saying grandparents of the baby. Yeah, grandparents. And, but then like she gets to make all the decisions for, for the, the baby, baby though. Yeah. It's like very. Yeah, that's, that can be tough. Not a whole lot that we have to deal with, like deliver the baby if it's coming out and, uh, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And the, the, here, here's what's fun. I don't know if it's fun, but here's what's like great about this is like you have someone like Chris that you can give a call. We talk a lot about a lot about this when we talk about DNRs and we talk about medical direction. We would talk a lot about these nuances like communicate with your ER. If you feel like you're in the gray or there's like a fuzzy area that you don't understand, get online medical direction on what to do. Like give them a call. Also, just communicate with your patients. Even when it comes to like the involuntary like consent stuff, like. You know how any, like, prisoners have come into the ER who, like, didn't want anything? And I just had a real conversation around, like, hey, here's what I'm trying to do. Here's what I need to do. We can get you out of here. And then they're like, all right, cool. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. or just you just treat people like human beings. Like, yeah. I even think about the, the one case I had of this young, this minor who was pregnant. Like, I just had a real conversation with her and then also her parents. Like, hey, can we just all, like, work together? And it works yeah. out fine. I mean, it's... Again, be nice. Do what a prudent person would do and do the best you can for your patient. You're probably exactly. going to be fine. We could end it. There have been a lot of people this, like, who have told me, like, ago. no, no, no when I initially walked into their house and then like 
five minutes later, I'm like, but can we? And they're like, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's just, yeah. they, they want to prove to them that you're there for them. Yeah. And, you're and that they have a voice, that they have, a, that they have a say in it. So, yeah. So adults without decisional ca uh, capacity would be, uh, like someone with a developmental disorder or someone who is, uh, altered mental status, altered mental combative. status, severely inebriated, um, psychiatric issues. Yeah. Uh, under the influence of, of a drug. So, and that becomes, I would, uh, the only thing I would caution there is that, like that obviously has to be a decision that's made as a care team, right? Like, like a lot of times you have to have like two physician signatures or, the, you know, or, or like have a social worker weigh in. I think sometimes we get really worked up around like i know that i need i want to do this for the patient i'm right and you are and the patient being irrationally like no 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 mm -hmm. i think it's worth pausing and saying like the things that i want to do do i have to do them right now or even at all I i've seen right. like s physicians and nurses like staff get into like insane fights with like psychiatric patients over things that just don't matter yeah right i mean like I don't know. I, I just, you know, I you just have to take that into consideration, in consideration a little bit, I think. Yeah. And I think too, like there have been patients before where like my team's been really upset. Like my guys have been real upset because they're like, he's going to have a STEMI. Like he's having a STEMI, like he's going to die. And I'm like, then just wait five minutes. Hey, when he goes <laughs> unconscious, we'll fix him. It's an, it's implied consent then. Right. Like, like right now he doesn't want to, like he has a right to be stupid. You know, our mom used to say that to us yeah, all yeah, the time. Yeah. You ever, you, you're old enough to be stupid is what she would say. If right. I didn't want to wear a coat because she was convinced we'd get a cold if we went out in the cold without a coat, which is a medical fallacy. And she's a nurse. So if you're so. listening, mom, <laughs> you were wrong. We were right all along. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you're old enough to be stupid. They can, they can, if they are, you know, they have decisional capacity, they're A no times four, they're, you know, and just document like mind. patient refuses this care and, yeah. and then move on and, and then do what you can do for them. It doesn't mm -hmm. have to be an all or nothing thing either. Yeah. And right? wait outside like, their house until they pass out and then jump <laughs> to the window. Do the act. No, I don't <laughs> so, know. <laughs> um, and then lastly, prisoners or arrestees, um, technically speaking, the, the police have uh, like durable power of eternity over. Uh, whether or not they're going to receive care. In certain now, I have never met a cop that isn't just going to be like, yeah, they can go whatever they want and you can do whatever you want to them because they're so scared of getting into trouble. But you do have to like, especially with like violent crime and stuff like that, like watch that because if you think that that police officer is making a decision that's harmful to the patient, like the, he's, he's refusing care for that patient and it would be harmful to the, to the patient, like it is your responsibility to speak up and deal with that as a interdisciplinary team. Yeah, yeah, cool. So... That is all we've got. Oh, refusal of care is the last thing. If someone refuses, I don't really know why I have that in here. Refusal of care. Like you can refuse. They got to be of sound, of sound mind in order to refuse. You can re refuse care and make sure you get the proper documentation or that you document the fact that they like walked off or something, but just cover your butt. You'll be good. That's medical legal. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> no, That's law and order copyright. TM. We do not have access. Is, I don't have access to that. We're not that. allowed to have that. Law and order SVU. <laughs> <laughs> so. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much. And hopefully this is a good overview of, of, and again, these things are there to protect you. And I think if we approach them that way and then obviously educate ourselves, which you've now done, congratulations, you're good to go. So now you can just go do whatever you want in medicine. Nope. All right, guys. You guys get have a great time. <laughs> get your CE at guardiancme.com. Uh, come visit us at booth 1172. Nope. 1721. 1721. Look for the giant guardian head in the sky. We'll be shining it out. I tell you what, if you signal. find our booth, we'll give you a water bottle just for finding the booth. Okay. We'll give you a guardian branded water bottle if you if you can find our booth. You're going to be able to find us. There's going to be a giant light in the sky. It wasn't as bad as we thought it was going to be last year. Either, yeah. So. All right, cool. All right, thanks, guys. Take care. We'll talk to you next time. Stay sweet. 
Hey guys, thanks so much for taking a listen. Uh, if you are studying for the National Registry exam, we're here to help. We have a National Registry prep program uh, to help you pass that exam. Check us out at guardiantestprep.com. If you'd like continued education credits uh, for listening to our podcast or watching this on YouTube, follow us at guardiancme.com. 100% free CAPSI credits. Uh, no matter what state or country you're in, uh, we're here to help. So again, we thank you so much for listening. We hope you have a wonderful week.